0: So I was on my own, the door was open, my hands started shaking and I thought I was having a heart attack or a stroke. I thought there was lights out for me, I thought this was it, I thought I was dying.
1: Hi, I'm Justin Smoreshaw, sports agent and fanatic. I've got you an all-access pass to the real untold stories of the Australian sporting industry. Welcome to Behind Sport. the role of a CEO or Chief Executive Officer. They are rarely seen, yet responsible for making some of the biggest decisions off the field that will directly impact their club. In this episode, we speak with Brisbane Broncos CEO, Paul White, and his wife, Angela, to learn about their story and the journey to this point. So, Paul, Angela, it didn't all start at Fulcher Road, tell me about where it all, all began for you.
0: Yeah, well, Fringe and I, we met while we were going to school at Rockhampton. I was going to St. Joseph's Christian Brothers College in Grade 9, and Angela was at the Range Convent, and they were our sister school. And we met at a party we weren't supposed to be at when we were um, nearly 15, uh, and s- had snuck out. Um, I, hadn't, and that, no, uh, I had no. I had to snuck <laughs> out. Oh, this is good. <laughs> but uh, but I was there with my big brother. I think my mother. I was there with my big sister. All yeah. oh, right, so yeah, you had protection. Yeah, so I think my mum relatively knew I was with my brother, but she probably didn't know where I was at. And we met at a party, and um, we started going out for a little while in year ten. Uh, Ange's dad was pretty strict at the time, and I was, it was the days when you had to ring in on the phone, and Ange one of eight children, so all her brothers and sisters would pick up the other phone and try and listen to our conversations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was pretty immature uh, lo- relationships by today's standard, but it was, you know, it was a special time. We, oh, uh, we, we, we had babies. a bit of a break, and then we got together again after school. So we're 17, and we've been together ever since. Nice.
2: I grew up in Rockham. You
0: grew up in
1: Rocky, yeah. Mm. What was that like?
2: Yeah, it was good. It was good. It's a, it's a very, it's a country town. It's, yeah. you know, got the big wide streets and, but being from a family of eight, there was always lots going on and we had lots of family, friends who had six and eight kids and we all hung out and we went camping down to the local beach. And so we've got all those great memories with all these big families that, um, we just camped every, every holidays, dad would go down, and put the tent up and yeah, it was good fun.
0: Nice. Uh, Dad was in the bank, so we I was born in Charleville, a very small town in western Queensland, yeah. um, and Dad um, was promoted sort of every second or third year, so we, we lived in lots of different towns across Queensland. We had two stints in Charleville. I was born there in 66, and we went back in 74. Um, we lived in Brisbane for a time. We lived in Toowoomba for about four years, and I finished my schooling in Rockhampton, and so um, Rocky's still home, Mum and Dad, Bought a house there and um, we lost dad a couple of years ago, which is unfortunate, but mum still lives in the, our same family home that we've had for best part of 40 years now. So Rocky, I guess, is, is, is home now for our family well I, when i finished school i left and went to the police academy in brisbane um and at the time uh, it, it was uh you know it was a great career opportunity but it was like a bit of a rugby league academy as well wayne bennett was there he was my first sergeant so Wayne and i do go back a hell of a long time but Mel Meninga was also there um and there was a strong association with the rugby league club in brisbane called southern suburbs this is pre-broncos days, so they were strong really strong the magpies um, and so I looked at it as it was a job, but it was a great chance to be coached and, you know, develop my rugby league career as, as amateur as it was in those days. But it was a great opportunity from both the career and a sporting point of view for me. And and remained in Rocky and we had a long distance relationship for probably six years before we got married.
1: So you moved down to Brizzy?
2: No, Paul, he actually broke his jaw playing football. First of many injuries. (laughs) Yeah, first of many. Um, So then from that injury, he made a decision. He would apply for a transfer back to central Queensland, and then he got Emerald. Mm. And we shortly got engaged after that, and so he lived in Emerald, and I was in Rocky. So, yeah, that was, I can't even remember what, probably 86, 86. 87
0: 88 Yeah, I went back to Emerald uh transferred from Brisbane to Emerald 86. Uh we got and we got married in 1989 so In
1: Emerald? Or did you go to Rocky for that? R- you? went to Rocky yeah, so no. it,
0: it, when you Back in those days, you used to have to do a report about your wife, and the police had to check her out to make sure she was sure. right. So, check her criminal yeah. history and your brownie points <laughs> that, well, that of all her relations and family and all that. But she passed the test, and they gave Still approval. They got thirty years this year. No, yeah, yeah, they gave approval years. for me to marry her, and uh, I got transferred from Emerald back into Rockhampton, and that's where our married life started. Yeah. So,
2: he played for foo- he played football for Emerald Tigers. Okay, captain mm. coached it.
0: Mm. Right. Okay, and how long were you there for? You I was in Emerald for three and a half years. Yeah, three and a half years, and it, it was a it was a great time. I, I, like it was only two and a half hours from Rocky, so I was close to Ange. But I got the opportunity to coach the Emerald Tigers when I was twenty two years old. Are they still going. They still, still going. Yeah, yeah. Soft so spot so in your heart, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Are. Like I was the youngest guy on the team, and most of them were big coal miners, and they'd. Uh, they'd run into the wrong end of the law a few times as well. So me being a copper was <laughs> yeah. was a bit weird and being young as well. But it taught me a lot about leadership and man management and knowing that you can't do it all on your own. So I had some really you know, tough old rugby league players um, that I needed to lean on to, to help me on my coaching journey. I was really inexperienced. So uh, I got the tough, toughest bloke in the team and um, just said, you know, will you support me? And I knew once I had his support, the others would follow. That's a good time. So, yeah, uh, a great uh, Yeah, so I guess I knew my limitations um, as much as I did, you know, my strengths.
2: Paul came back to Rocky and we got married. Yeah. And then we were we were in Rocky for 18 months and then Paul got an opportunity to play football in Leeds in England. A lovely
0: part of the world,
1: that is. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, who's from there? Well, a guy I'd met in Emerald um, uh, had spent some time with Batley, a club in Northern England. I know it is, well. Yeah, so he'd spent some time in Batley, and, and his coach was Paul Darley, who was actually the coach of Hunslet. So through that connection, we found out where Paul Darley was, and he was at he was going to coach Hunslet the following season. So I applied. I sent I sent a CV, or a really rugby league CV, and a pigeon. Um, yeah yeah, and at that time the clubs were all allowed three imports and I was playing for central Queensland in the state Cup and but I wasn't playing for South in Brisbane I wasn't from a, a big Sydney club so um, so you did, you won I wasn't given a, a contract before I got over there so I had to go over on the basis of a, a trial Approve yeah yeah, and prove yeah. yeah right and they it, I remember when we first got over there it was a massive risk but I suppose that's part of our whole life journey we've we've had a real go to get to where we've got to today both the and i but our only real asset was a daihatsu charade car and we <laughs> sold it did it have a name <laughs> no <laughs> not really just car just car <laughs> <laughs> but so we sold that which is our only real asset um and that paid for our flights over and we
2: had three thousand dollars we we'd, we'd yeah. sold the car and we had three thousand yeah. dollars so
1: i'm just tracking back a little bit yeah so you've been offered a an opportunity to play at Leeds how was that received by you and then how was it said
0: to to Ange to go <laughs> I, th- I think Ange had always known that I wanted I really wanted to we sort, sort of, of it had been arm. sort
2: of talked about you know I want to do this one day this is what I want to do and
0: mm. how old were you then
1: what,
2: what age were you uh, 20, I was 20, 20, 23
0: yeah okay. I was 24 Ange was 23 yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. and um I just thought, while we're young, before we have children, why not have a go? And uh, we had a go, we did. Did
1: did you know much about Leeds before
2: you... No, we we arrived and there was a game at... (laughs)
0: Because we used to play uh, Hunslet at the time, played at Ellen Road, which is Ye- Leeds United's home ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, and, talk, at, you're talking to a Leeds boy. Yeah, this is my turn. So, turf. so in 1990, 91, when when I went over there, they were the premier Premier League champions of England. So, yeah. they, Howard Wilkinson was their coach. Gordon Batty, I think, we were, David Batty, da- David Batty was there, but Gordon Strachan was their captain. Gordon Strachan, good memory. Yeah. So, um, so we played on their home ground, their wow. their pitch, and and well, they moved to South Leeds um, Stadium, yeah, wasn't it? So we we arrived on the train from London. We, um, we from were, Heathrow. Yeah, just... So
1: from, so from Rocky. I'm just trying to get... But this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So leaving Rocky. Rocky. Yeah.
2: We had to fly to Brisbane and then yeah. we had one a big flight over.
1: Yeah.
2: And um, we arrived at the train station from... It, and there was a home game on, a Leeds United game. Against and Aston Villa. We arrived with the old-fashioned suitcases, no wheels, really heavy... And we got out of there and, and there was... You were pregnant. I was pregnant and serious morning sickness. And there was police on horses just saying, get out of here, get out <laughs> of here, and splitting up the different groups. They weren't allowed to, you know, oh there no, was... You can't mingle in Yeah, you quit. so the police England. were... One group was on the other and... Um, so it was on just before the game, you've turned up. Yeah, we've turned up
0: You're You're at, at Leeds, Leeds all... train station. Yeah, that no, was. I think oh. it was after. I think Leeds had beaten Aston Villa four one, oh, right, and was, they are expecting dramas. Yeah, wow. yeah, because it was so vivid. Because you imagine two kids from Country Queensland <laughs> oh, arriving, arriving there with, and the crowds were just overwhelming. So we didn't know where we were staying, and I, and back in those days, there was no mobile phones, emails, so I didn't even have Paul Daly's. Uh, we email had it on anyone. a piece
2: of paper, and we couldn't find the piece of paper. <laughs> Somewhere in the luggage. Yeah, of course. We just
0: went to we went to a bed and breakfast and and just booked in. We asked the cab driver just take us somewhere, and we booked in, and then we got our bearings and we rang the club, and um, yeah, it was pretty frightening because we went to the front gates of Ellen Road because Hunslet had a very small little clubhouse there, and we saw the clubhouse. (laughs) But what do
1: we (laughs) say? But it was uh,
0: it was all an experience. It, It was. It was a bit frightening for us because we were, you, you're out of your depth. You're out, totally out of your depth and the crowds and yeah, no, just a foreign no. country. We never travelled. Neither of us had travelled. Yeah, yeah, so there's
1: no welcoming committee. You had, of course, no you know, friends or established networks over no. there, just a piece of paper with a phone number and a That's name it. on it. Mm-hmm. That's it.
0: And, that and they put instrument. us up
2: with a lady.
0: And three grand in the bank, which turned out to be about eight hundred pound because the exchange rate was terrible. It was three (laughs) point three. It was
2: was not good. And we the club had put us up for a couple of for a week or so with a a nice lady, an older lady, and she looked after looked after us. Um, But Paul, they said, "You've got three weeks,
0: three trials,
2: three trials." Okay, to say whether they're going to keep us.
0: Okay, talk about pressure. Yeah, yeah, well no, money in the bank and England was going through a, a big recession at the time. Margaret Thatcher had shut all the coal mines. Yeah, you remember down, I remember that. Yeah, like, yeah. And yeah. Uh, a lot of the blokes I played with at Hunslet that were big tough coal coal miners from that area. So, um, it was a really tough time for the country, so it wasn't easy to get employment. It, it, you know, So if I didn't make it in rugby league, we are on a plane back to Australia, which would have been pretty embarrassing, you know, that yeah, I, I was going over. We only <laughs> yeah, had three. Yeah. We
2: didn't have enough money to travel.
0: We yeah. had $3,000. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I suppose your yeah.
1: father or your parents-in-law went with big expectations, you know, go over there and do, do well, make a good name for yourself. Mm. And
0: Yeah, well, we sort of... They, mum and Dad and aunt's mum and dad probably didn't realise what we got ourselves in for, and we, we probably hadn't either, but I guess sort of backed ourselves and it was the best time to- I tell you the, the best part of the whole experience was probably that first month because I literally played to put food on the table or to stay there like I've never been so motivated to play footy and and it was such a different experience because it was starting to get cold there and I'll, I'll never forget before the game they brought in a hot pot of tea you know we normally drink water or Powerade or something it was a hot pot of tea and everyone's sitting around drinking tea and um but I just embraced it quickly. I knew I had to. I knew I had to throw myself into the club. And he, he played. Re-
2: he did play really well those first three weeks. He he scored a try or two tries the first game, then three tries. The You're second watching game, stunned, wrapped yeah, up, pregnant, yeah, wrapped up, and Ellen um, Road, yeah, Alan Road, and then the third game we played at
0: Keithley. Yeah he, cu- Cougars. Cougars? Yeah. yeah, he
2: scored Yeah, he scored four tries, and so that he had the he was the record try scorer of the club, like at that time. Right. So mm-hmm. he was he. I don't, it's probably would have been beaten by now. Yeah,
0: I was equal with some another player from over there. H- how were you received being an Aussie
1: or an Aussie couple in England? Oh, lovely. Like, they
2: were, off,
1: off the field. But I was also going to ask how it was on on the field. Were you? I don't know. Were you sort of? targeted anyway or were you yeah. did you have to sort of you know earn, earn your respect definitely. from the players in, no, in that regard yeah or? no
0: definitely they were I just never they were big hard men the, the English forwards were were big hard buggers you know and I, I love that I really respected guys like that and I formed a really immediate f- uh, friendship with a guy called uh, James Lowes who went on to play for Great Britain he did great things beyond that but Jimmy was just a real young man at the time and we took a real shine to him so he was often over at our house wouldn't eat vegetables but he ate chocolate cakes and fish and chips and <laughs> he would fish body, <laughs> fish well. yeah so he would put chips on a bread roll and it, so we learned to we, yeah that's it, that's it yeah. that's <laughs> it uh, and the first thing I had to get used to was they'd they'd say, "You okay, Aussie?" And I go, "Yeah, I'm fine. I th- think what do I look like I'm sick or something." But that that's their greeting for How are you going? "Hey, go now, then."
2: And there was another Australian <laughs> in the team at the time, Colin. Yeah, Colin Canola,
0: Yeah, he'd he'd been over there. So they they'd been. But the the imports the year before I got there were David Gillespie and Mark Hone, who were both recognised first graders, played for state origin and their country. Um, before I got there, so the expectation around Australian imports was high, and I I, I didn't have a profile as a rugby league player yeah. in Australia, so that made it a bit more difficult. But in some ways, it made it a bit, uh, I guess, easier to get to know the the players because. In the early 90s, there was a bit of a fascination with Australia, like Neighbours was really one of the top-rating TV shows in the UK. So you constantly got asked, (laughs) do you know any characters off
1: the
2: Oh, we took... um, Paul's mother used to send us over VHSs because you were... uh,
1: Two years behind.
0: Yeah,
2: way behind, so...
1: Oh, you were
2: dishing the the gossip. Yeah, so we were handing out the uh, VHSs at the time.
0: I just thought you are only there once, and I've always been really and so anne has Ian's been interested in people and and w- once we go somewhere we make the most of it we're part of the community and i think just the difference in their lifestyles was you know um, it, britain was in a tough time at a uh, tough place at the time it was uh, to get a stake was was quite difficult you know like we take take it for granted in australia the coming of coming meat, from rocky the home of oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah yeah, one of the blokes in the team uh, hit a steak in his Wellington boot and put it in the back of his car and gave it to me one night after training and got the bus home and washed it a bit and then cooked it that night. Um, so it was all of that was fascinating. I love the hotels, I love the pubs, I love going there after games and the camaraderie. Um, yeah, and, the camaraderie and yeah, just the uh, mateship. Yeah, and the, uh, and I guess the history of some of those towns and some of the pubs and the night, you know, the Black Dog and the, you know. <laughs> the what was the
2: there was the white knight the
0: white knight and the red brick and you know so yeah rose and crown all of that and a gun and his dog or something there's always one of them in there you could do your christmas shopping at one of the hotels and you know i'm, I'm not saying where the product came from but yeah, so. yeah no. but
2: we had to we still had to get we had to get jobs yeah. but um when you won so they gave you your brown paper bag with Depending how much. Was it 90? It wasn't a brown paper bag. Well, like it, wasn't. it wasn't. People
0: talk about in Australia. Okay. <laughs> they gave you a pay envelope, you know, so you got your pay. Oh, you, after you got your, your game. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So that was... Uh, but
2: if you lost, you got half of it. Yes. And yeah. if you won, you got... It
0: was exciting. I played one trial game. I played a uh, second-team game at Rydale York or York, Um, and and the centre I came up against that night in second team was James Lulawai, who was a New Zealand international. So I thought, hell, if that's the standard, it's going to be tough once I get up in the the first team. And the centre in the first team got injured, and um, I got a game against Trafford Borough, and they had a few high-quality Australian imports. We lost to those. Um, I, I forget who we played in the in the second game, but I had a reasonable game, and then we played Keithley in that last game, and I, and um, I, I had a pretty decent game then. And um, Paul Daly came around home the next day. We played on the Sunday. He came around the Monday, and he said, "Ozzy, we're gonna we're gonna sign you." And I said, "Thanks, mate. What a feeling!" Yeah, yeah, so then they great. paid <laughs> they paid our rent. Yeah, yeah, then they paid our rent, and yeah, sorry, then they paid our rent, and um, yeah, they really. Yeah, they really took great care of us, and we had a wonderful time. And uh,
1: how long was that? So, how
0: long was that contract for that they said
1: we want to sign you? It was
0: for that season, but um, unfortunately, just before we left, Angela fell pregnant. Yeah, through, through natural family planning, um, <laughs> which was a bit unplanned, but we we wouldn't take back that moment. That's for sure, and it was the best thing for our marriage because our parents are good friends. But we had in Rockhampton, we had you know we could always. If we had a blue or something we'd go back to our families at home so we had to it was a bringing together of us probably because back in those days you didn't live with your girlfriend before you got married and and Angela's dad which i respected totally he was you know pretty strict in that and uh you know i don't begrudge that at all so i knew that i had to marry angela before i had the opportunity to live with her and and that was the case so when we went sort of our relationship grew because we were just on our own and we made a new set of friends and we loved our time over there. Yeah, it know. was fun. We would we would have loved to have stayed in in any other set of circumstances. Yeah, when, when we, we once stayed.
2: we got back home we had Emily and think that was sort of all good. We probably wished we had done another Another stint over. Another in the UK. stint, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah. then our life wouldn't have gone the other way. This so. is it, isn't it? That sliding
1: mm-hmm. door situation as mm-hmm. well. So back um moving on from the UK, you came back, had Emily joined us and then you got back into football? Yeah, like, so. straight while, away?
0: While I was, yep, I was. So, m- my whole working history as a police officer was I'd sort of go to towns where I could also captain coach the local footy side because we needed that extra income because we were having a growing family and money was pretty tight. So, I'd always take promotions where I could coach and play with a footy team. So, um, we went back to Rockhampton where I captain coached Rocky Brothers was with my local team so I did that deal while I was in the UK so when we arrived back that was a paid role paid oh well just part time okay. paid role yeah so just you know a few thousand dollars in the country but that that was enough to give us a family holder at the end of the year so I always I really coached and and played for you know the best part of probably 17 years across Queensland but we came back from the UK and I played for Rocky, Rockhampton Brothers and coached them that year. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I, I could work. because yeah. we
2: had both mothers pushing to have the baby, so yeah, that was, was pretty it was, easy.
0: It was the first grandchild, so mm-hmm. big family. Oh, Everyone yeah. wanted it was, Emily. Yeah, can <laughs> imagine. Yeah, <Could have> <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, we had a few more stints in between yeah. that, like up well up north. We went from Rockhampton. We then went out to Bar. Yep. Yeah.
1: When so were you work in we'll mines back then? Nowadays? No, no.
0: no. Police? I, I, I was, oh, you police yeah. I remained in the police mm. from from Rocky right through to my time in Mount Isa. So I went from Rockhampton to bar back to North Rockhampton, from North Rockhampton to Middlemount from middlemount to Officer in Charge of Mount Isa, and I coached and played in all those communities. Every town I went to. Yeah. So. There's a lot of people over Queensland that sort of know me as mm. a police officer or as a coach or one or one one of the other, but that was probably the but rich. predominantly, we yeah. went for 40. Yeah. yeah, and you in tow all the
1: time. You, you yeah, you toured, I, I, toured I cried the state.
2: everywhere we went. I cried on the way there because I didn't really want to go, but I cried more on the way home. <laughs> yeah, back to Rocky. Like, Good at like,
1: making friends and yeah. connections and stuff yeah. like that. And it's
2: sort of like each baby we were moving.
1: <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, so yeah.
2: Well, we made beautiful friends in all those towns and and our footy experiences. Like in Morumbah, we all worked hard in the footy clubs. You know, we ran the bar after every footy game. So I had babies in the car and you just backed them in. We backed the car into the oval. We had pillows and doonas and we set them up. You know, they were at the footy all day and playing. We fed them. But I could see them. I worked behind the bar. I could see them. I could see the car. The car was backed right up to the bar. Yeah, they were in the car. We knew everyone knew everyone. Mm. Um, yeah, that's how you sort of rolled out there. It was yeah. a
0: great yeah. sense of community. Mm. Yeah, that's how footy clubs survive. You know, everyone's got to pitch in. And when you're a coach of a country rugby league club, you're more than just a coach. You've, you've got to be organised in the raffles and you've got to participate and you've got to organise other club activities which help the club raise a few dollars. So um, I never forget that now in the job that I'm in that how hard it is for people just to keep the game alive in some areas and I'm enormously respectful of those people and um, that's where I've come from and ultimately one day I'll go back there yeah
2: and drive driving look when Paul was in Morumbah he always played in the um, yeah the rep team in the rep team so they had to drive to Mackay for training which was two hours from Morumbah to Mackay just to train just to to train so they did that two nights a week they trained two nights a week in Morumbah drove two nights a week two and a half hours and drove back and then we all were on a bus. The boys would go on another bus, or so, and we'd drive in because we had kids. But we would drive in on the Sunday and we'd watch them play, and then we'd come back and we'd stop at a pub along the way.
0: Yeah,
2: um, and have dinner, and then we'd all it, count a meal. It was like yeah, count <laughs> a meal, and then it was that. It was every week we did that. I
0: oh. love those buses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're mm-hmm. great. You know, that's where uh,
2: and that's how we met. The stories you'd hear in those mm-hmm. places. Yeah, yeah, you sing some it. songs, and yeah.
0: I, I was always leading the charge there, which mm-hmm. I. Which I love, you know, Mm. and
2: then had to work around all that because he was a policeman, who was a shift worker. Yeah, Mm. yeah, okay. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah, people that gain respect. Yeah, yeah, well, yes, some of your players, you know, would you need to jerk them in line from time to time, like because rugby league players uh, oftentimes are risk takers. That's why they enjoy the game. That's why they're good at the game. So you got to understand both dimension of the psyche of a rugby league player so some of the young men my my job was to make sure i kept them alive if that makes sense because fast cars high disposable incomes in mining communities is can be a recipe for disaster so i always i was pretty hard on that some of those young guys and they now later on in life they really appreciate you know whether it was a strong harm you know at the time or or a word in the right at the right time in their life like i I cared a lot about him, but I was hard on him. if that makes sense. And I sort of still live by that edict today, even with the players I currently have anything to do with, which is most of the group at the Broncos there. I I, I still sort of have the same, I guess, philosophy. If you care about people, you've got to be hard on them from time to time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: See, I think it made a big difference because of Paul being a policeman there. He usually could drag a couple of the young police boys who were out living in the barracks there. He'd make them join the club. So then the relationship... Yeah. was actually a good one.
1: Yeah. yeah. Because the all community.
2: the toughest boys played league out in the country, you know, yeah. so they like had an,
1: actually... Initiation yeah. state in a way, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah.
0: So they genuinely looked after the, the police if they had a bit of respect. And I always think when you get go to a, a community, you've got to, not more than just the footy side of things, but you need to throw yourself into the community, get to know people, because it can be a tough job. You know, on the one hand, you're there to uphold the law, which you've got to do, and then the other hand, you're there to you there to support people through some tough times so you're exposed to some you're exposed to a bit of trauma in some of those like where you know the families involved and the young people so you attend a scene of an accident and then you've got to also deliver the message to the family in terms of what's happened so it it, yeah, it can take a bit of a toll on you and i you know I've got to say at times you that that was one of the most challenging things about working in small rural communities is you know the people you know, when there's a bad accident, you know, there's a high, happened, high, right? yeah, yeah. high degree of likelihood that you're going to go to the scene, you're going to know the person that's there.
2: Well, Paul, there was a terrible accident in Middlemount. Um Middle it was. And um, Paul was the local policeman, but he was actually the coach of the under-14s, mm. under-14s, and he took that team to Blackwater. Right. But on the way over, one of the mothers, she had an unfortunate accident where she, the car rolled and two of the boys were killed. So, um, but Paul was already over there. He took another group of boys with him, and he was over there. But when they got there, the boys hadn't turned up, and then there was helicopters and choppers, uh, choppers so and
0: planes and coming didn't in. Know what was going on, and then later, uh, uh, I sort of had a, I sort of had a fair idea because one of the ladies behind the canteen, her father was in the bush fire brigade. In small communities, word spreads pretty quick that there'd been a bad accident, and I just put two and two together that somehow this was going to be the group of boys that were missing and and of course i had i had to immediately sort of tap out of my job as the coach and put on my policeman hat and go to the scene of the accident but it was yeah it was a pretty uh, it was a
2: really hard yeah it was
0: a pretty ordinary scene it was a it was a very challenging not only day but i guess a it was a challenging time for that community but it it did have a pretty big impact on me at the time because it was a two-man sort of police station and, and all the um and i'd been on my own for a fair mm-hmm. bit of time so i didn't have an offsider with me so yeah you're, you're sort of there to provide support for b- the boys that survived and also the f- the families of all the boys th- yeah. those that didn't survive and the, and the those that did, yeah the coal mine the, the mining companies were were fantastic at that at, at that time but uh, the, the the biggest impact was probably my own family because i was there for everyone else but probably very remain like you you, oh yeah i just
2: yeah he was not really good but i just rang his dad and said i don't know what to do i need help so Mm -hmm. i mean the police the police did have um social workers out the net you know that very next day and you know in the house and but it was like a lot of people in the house and there was a lot of families really affected because the boys that were injured were really some of them were badly injured Mm -hmm. so one was airlifted to rocky one was taken to um, airlifted to Brisbane, another one had gone to the local Blackwater hospital but um, and then it went on for six six or so weeks because as those kids got out of hospital, they wanted to come and see Paul again and talk to him and he, their families you know because mm. the kids needed that as well. so Paul was sort of like
1: the, the counselor the
0: father yeah, yeah, yeah. in many ways yeah. and yeah. a lot yeah. of
2: the service um, the emergency service people were from middlemount as well, so you just everyone was so traumatized, mm. really. Yeah,
0: it was a tough time. Yeah, definitely.
1: And then you, you, you well, you left that c- community. Yeah. From there, you, you headed... Yeah, and then,
0: so we left Middlemount, um, which was a real happy, t- happy time in our lives. Yeah, we loved Middlemount. And went to Mount Isa, where I was the officer in charge of the police station. So Mount Isa, for those that don't know, is a really big police station in northwest Queensland. I had about 100 staff including police liaison officers. So that was your biggest leadership, leadership yeah. role to date, to yeah. be mm-hmm. head of all those people? Yeah, here. most definitely. We had 100 staff. It was, it, it was a challenging policing environment, the cr- really high crime rate. Um, there were some entrenched social issues. That The Indigenous population out there was about 20%. Um, and a, a lot of them, w- you know, were sort of itinerant. They'd come in from Northern Territory communities and there was a, a real problem with over consumption of alcohol and public drunkenness um um be- because of the fact there's dry communities in the territory and these people would come down they'd remain in uh, mount isa for some time so
1: you were given a bit of a hot potato it seems there
0: uh. yeah well i applied for the role and t- to be honest it was a bit of a game changer for me it-, it did change our lives we had a great time in mount isa i got to meet wonderful people uh, a person of note would be father mick lowcock was a catholic priest out there that did a lot with uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities out there and I personally developed a real passion for trying to sort of bridge that gap between being a police officer and sort of I guess trying to
1: break the divide yeah
0: and bring a you know a, a, we were sort of marked on you know a number of arrests or you know uh, punitive actions you're taking it I we were making 100 arrests a day when I first got there there was a really high crime rate for it was breaking in us, but it was all for just small items, packets of chips and breads and stuff like that. And I just thought we had to work out the cause. I didn't see it as a, a market of success that we are arresting 100 people every day of the week. In fact, I thought that was a sign we were, we were failing. Sure. So yeah. I ran some interventions programs. When I say I, we ran some intervention programs because I, I, the, the young police officers and the police service out there supported me and Father Mick and the local community groups were great. So um and yeah, people
2: okay. stayed because it was so far away no one went away on the weekends so the sport was really great out there for the kids and um there was yeah. lots of different activities and dancing and yeah. you know the police yeah. youth club was great um you know c- people only left at school holiday times
1: yeah did you do much in the rugby league community in that area then or yeah, mainly because you had too no, many no. obligations yeah no
0: no i yeah. Well, I went out, again, I took Mount Isa and I knew I could get a coaching job, which in turn would be my last one. (laughs) Um, And I was at the back end of my rugby league playing career. So I went up there, I I coached. What were they called? They were called Townies, the club I coached, Mount Isa Town. uh, And it was an historical name back from when the town was first formed. So I coached Townies. So I accepted the coaching job but when I got there I didn't know they expected me to play. Right. So so unfortunately I had to I had to Just play. I oh to he play. loved <laughs> it. Not first game. I, so the first game How old are you then? I was thirty six. Okay. And in uh, your prime. Oh, it's well beyond the prime. It wasn't. He
2: didn't have have his arm too twisted behind his back. That's for <laughs> Go sure. Go run. <laughs> well, my view's
0: a bit different, though but we'll agree to disagree. So anyway, I had my first game and I played terrible. Uh, I remember because did I, he? And do you remember that or not? Did you watch
2: it? I, I did watch it. I. I Probably I probably was, as, wasn't as into it. I was okay. probably talking yeah, you're talking like, with the ladies and the kids. Yeah, <laughs> so
0: I played terrible. and I remember the president, a good mate of mine now, Bob Jakeman, he said to me, he goes, I thought you could play a bit. you know, I looked at your history. He said, you're terrible. And he said that on the microphone after the game, which we'd won. Um, so I sat up in bed when I got home and I just thought I'm – at least I'm going to hold my hands up if I'm going to. So I started training really hard again and pride got the better of me. We we ended up winning the grand final against Wanderers right at the death that year. So we were favourites, but we we snuck home. There was a couple
2: of other oldies out there too.
0: Yeah, there was players from the other team who were pretty old because that's a lot of country rugby league competitions. They require older blokes to have a game and... But it was a great year. We, we end up winning the competition. I coached them the next year, and we, we won again. And I ended up coaching Mount Isa as well. And as it would – my last ever game of rugby league was – I I was coaching Mount Isa, and we were playing uh, – we used to play two games on one weekend. We all played Mackay and Cairns. Yeah. And we had a really close result against Mackay. We nearly beat Mackay. We were rank underdogs. We nearly beat Mackay, but I, we had a fair few injuries. So, of course, when we played Cairns on – the I think on the Saturday, I had to pull the boots on again at 38. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so my last ever game was against uh, Cairns in Mount Isa colour. So I got to play for Mount Isa, which was a huge thrill because I was just a, such a famous it? rugby league town and community. Yeah. So uh, And
2: North Queensland, from there, you were selected?
0: Not at not that time, Dale. Oh, uh, was it that Yeah, moment? no, not at 38. Yeah, I, was, Mourinbar, yeah, Mourinbar. I, I played for North Queensland, where was it? Moranbar. Mm. Yeah, 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 well. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great. It
2: yeah. was very good for our our
1: four girls I was, was. going to say the girls were in tow at this stage they were all coming along and they were yeah. experiencing building how was it on them as well like building networks and then relocating them often people say children are quite resilient in those times and yeah. they just can make friends sort of anywhere and
2: they were pretty good. They, yeah, were, no, they were good they were good they made and they made lots of friends everywhere and they've reconnected with those friends when they've like Emily our oldest she her little best friend from primary school in Rockhampton from Uh, preschool in grade one her very very first university lecture that little girl was called Lucy White she was sitting in front of Emily true yeah in her very first lecture because both the girls had had a gap year Lucy had been living in Toowoomba she went and did a gap year in Toowoomba Emily did a gap year in the army she went to the army her and Madeline did a year in the army so they'd had come back and they had and they didn't know each other was going to be there so yeah, they'd sort of kept in contact with it. I think it was, you know, on social media back then. It wasn't like it is today, but sure. um, they've got they've got a great little friendship nice. now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What a what a great great life mm. they've
0: led. Yeah, it's fa- it's been fantastic for them.
1: Thank you for listening. Just a reminder: you're listening to the Behind Sport podcast. In this episode, you're listening to Paul and Angela White the CEO couple behind the Brisbane Broncos. And then it um, from the Isa
0: from there where Brisbane. Well, the? Yeah. Down kind of to Well, well the, the the fork in the road there or the chain the the I guess the life-changing event then I I got offered a job in the mines in Mount Isa just just randomly I didn't apply for a job but one of the uh, bosses of the mines saw fit to offer me a lower-level HR role on the proviso that he thought I could develop into a HR manager at some time in the future. No guarantee, so it was a huge risk again. The Daihatsu charade moment again. So after 17 years, total job security, having four children, I got offered a, a, a relatively low-level role, uh, and and I decided it was the right time in my life to take a chance again. Anne supported me totally, and we're, there's a fair bit of risk, so. I just think those times in your life when you take a risk, it, it really focuses you as, and motivates you. Um, and I was certainly that. So I took a job in it with uh, Extrata, the, as they were then, they now Glencore. And I did that for 18 months, and they put they started to put me through an MBA, and I fast-tracked everything, worked really, uh, really, really hard. You loved it, obviously. Yeah, loved it. Um, but I was also wholly motivated to put food on the table, pay school fees, and that that's got a great sense of, I, I actually love that time of life because, you know, nothing could nothing could stop you from, you know, doing everything you needed to do because you're just so motivated by looking after your family, if that, if that makes sense. And yeah. 15 months after I'd, uh, I'd uh, got that original start, I was a manager uh, that offered me the Australian HR manager's role, but another mining company from one of those other towns I'd worked in offered me a role in Brisbane, Anglo-American, and I took the role in Brisbane partly because, well, mainly because of the kids' education. Well, we knew
2: where the kids, well, where the kids were going to go to uni is probably where they were going to end up. And although our girls have been to uni in, at James Cook and QUT here in um, Brisbane, um, you know, if we stayed in Mount Isa, they may have ended up in Townsville or... Yeah. Um
0: Which wouldn't have been too wouldn't bad. Wouldn't have
2: been too bad, but we knew we would probably end up down this way. Sure. Just didn't really wanna I didn't really want to leave them behind. No. Didn't want them to meet a boy and stay <laughs> up there.
1: <laughs> a country boy, we know what they're like. <laughs> well, they lead <all> him <laughs> astray. Yeah. Well anyway, treatment.
2: Emily went back and married a boy from Cloncurry. So. Yeah, exactly. there you go. Yeah. <laughs>
1: He's a champion. Yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. yeah. So you moved to Brizzy? You're settled here? Yeah. By this time, your rugby league career had uh, gracefully well, finished.
0: Well, finished. I, I yeah, ended up giving. I end up giving Anthony Griffin a hand. I did a. I coached the Brisbane under seventeen team for a couple of years, and I was assistant coach at Redcliffe in two thousand and six. When Anthony Griffin, who former coach at Penrith, um, and the former coach of the Broncos, actually was there, and I gave him a hand in two thousand and six. That's the last. That was the last time I really coached. Um, and I'd, I was through myself into my career in the mining industry I finished my MBA um, and the company I was working with were really looking after me they had me on global sort of leadership development programs um, and were, were very very good in terms of their staff development and you know working conditions were great so where I saw a great opportunity I really invested hard in that and it was probably seven years into that job that the the Broncos came up and I thought about it and when I decided to apply, I applied, you know, um, with a fair degree of determination that I wanted to get the job.
1: This was back in 2011? 10. 2010. 2010
0: I applied and I started in 2011.
1: Yep. Right. Did you think you would? Yeah, yeah. They're a yeah. big team. Yeah, and they still are. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, of course. But I'm saying past sort of, sort past Super League back then, wouldn't it? Or, yeah, yeah, no, no, well then, past that. Yeah, yeah and yeah. they were established; they were really yeah. established. No, but that's they, what I'm trying to say. They were very established. Yeah,
0: and it was one of the attractions, I guess, because I was in a very secure job. It was a global mining company. I was on, you know, um, you know, good sort of long term term share options and all of those things, which which provide a degree of security. So again, the Daihatsu. Sh- Charade, moment Let's roll yeah, the dice. Yeah, yeah. I took a big risk because I was leaving behind something that I'd, I was now established in, and I could see the future there for me. And the company had laid that out as well, so I, I knew where I was going. And I just thought, if there's any job I would apply for, it'd be this one. I, I wasn't looking for a career in sports administration, um but the Broncos is a unique proposition. I I just thought. I don't want to have any regrets in my life, so it doesn't come up Do too it. often. So Did you run it by, Ange? Did she ever say? Or he was like, oh, oh this I is what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, initially, but uh, I was, uh, we, we kept it really, really I I, I did have
2: some reservations. I was yeah. a bit like, oh,
1: God. This is a big, this is a big. Yeah, uh, big risk. Well, yeah, yeah. and a big, op- well, I suppose a big opportunity, but a big risk. And yeah, yeah. So but how I, did that happen? How did the appointment happen? Like So I, a phone I call? yeah,
0: no, no, they had a recruiter that, went through the process and they had a and obviously they had over 100 a hundred people apply and i think they shortlisted about eight or nine people and uh so i was i was lucky enough to get a shortlist and then i prepared a presentation i made sure like i was if i was going to have a go i was going to do my very best so if i didn't get the job i would have no regrets and so no I re- your mba would have had an integral part of how to yeah exactly but i knew enough people through my contacts external to the mining industry at you know some major sort of industry players who were outside of rugby league they were extremely helpful to sort of frame how to put together the presentation and what areas I need to sort of focus on and and I've continued to some of the things that I presented to the board at that time I've I've continued to remain highly focused on them in in the role that I currently do still today particularly membership. Did you tell many people when you
1: applied for it, did you keep it relatively under wraps? Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely under wraps because you know, like as as you say, you yeah. with a role like that, you never you're and, never and super confident that um, you're the, you're the right person for the job, or so, if someone's going to determine that you're the right person for the job. So you you know, and you
2: were doing really yeah. well in the industry he was in. Yeah.
0: So
1: did you not think? Mm. Oh, is this something that you know? Maybe you should stick at it. This time you're doing well. You're yeah. bringing in a your good. You're, sh- yeah, yeah, yeah. you're nodding your head there. You
2: can't. I did think that. <laughs> yeah, I was exactly. like, Oh my god! Oh my god! And Girls are going well. For school. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't want to. And his brother's saying, "This is a really good opportunity. He's got to go for it." I was like, "Oh
1: God, he's he's doing, you know, really is this well." Too, is this is one too many. No. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then yeah, and then you got the you got a, you got a, you got a, So you pitched the board. Yes, and I got I got off the job really uh we got offered a contract within probably 48 hours of pitching to the board so it was good um they saw fit to 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 give me an offer and that that I was the right person for the job and um you never really know uh but it, you know it was it was great honor but you know a bit like going overseas you, 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 there's an element of fear as well you know to fear of not doing you, you it's not fear of failure, you. You want to do your best, sure. um, a, and uh, I guess it's such a public job that everyone's judging you. It's, oh. You know, it's just it's it's not just you know it's it's not just the media. It's the members, supporters, the average person, in the street. So you you know you know that you you're never gonna be not gonna make everyone happy. No, and you're never gonna be uh, you know totally popular um, uh, uh, amongst everyone, but your job as a ceo is not to be popular it's to make the right decisions at the right time and lead the club the right way i was going to say was it was similar to policing in a, in a in a way because yeah there's a yeah there's certainly an element of that and this you know particularly from a from a leadership point of view um you know the most difficult times in your life you never or in your career you oftentimes don't have time to prepare for those, and policing's a great example of that. And I guess at the Broncos it can be the same that something could happen one night, um, and then the next day you you caught you know you're called on to respond, or you go through tough periods yeah. that you don't anticipate, and yeah. and you've you've I mean you've got to lead authentically. You, you you can't read a book and say, oh, this is how I'm going to lead yeah. today. You yeah. know you've got to lead what's in front of you, and every sure. every tough situation de- demands a different leadership reaction um but i guess you need to be centered by a, a you know com, common sense uh, a common set of principles and values and i've, I've certainly i feel like i am centered that way it, it you know as i say not everyone agrees with every decision you make or every call you make but I, i'm interested in people i try and treat people with decency and respect um I don't forget where I've come from. Um, I'm grateful for the job I've got and, and I work hard. I, w- I turn up to work every day and I challenge everyone who works for me to work hard. Um, and hence
1: why the Broncos renewed your agreement and saw yeah. what you, you brought to the table. I was going to go back on how you announced it to Ange to say, <laughs> Ange, now I'm pretty much leading the biggest sporting club in Australia.
2: I probably still didn't really get the Is fall. it sunk in now? Yeah. <laughs> well, this time now? Yeah, sure. probably. I, I'm, it's, look, honestly, I feel like it's really still a big country football club because the people the same people that you we've mixed with in every club yeah. they're all we're all the, we're all from the same sort of backgrounds and oh there's a lot of different backgrounds as well but
0: it's still a big footy club it's a I big agree.
2: family rugby league is a big family and we're still i had all the boys over for dinner you know, in all those country towns, they're not for a game and uh, we still have the boys over for dinner. Not the whole team, obviously, at the same time. I and mean, you couldn't feed them all at once, but...
0: We've had 15 one night on the back veranda. Oh, yeah, <laughs> younger ones. But, um,
2: you know, we do have them over and they do... They're all... We're, it is a family. You become a family with all
1: the... But I, I think maybe you don't realise it's it's what you two bring to it. You know, because you are so focused on that family, you know, giving back and, and being involved in that, that's what you project and therefore people around you are, are living by your, your ways and, and values as well. So mm-hmm. you probably are not aware of it. It's just what you do. And yeah, bring. I
2: suppose, and it's you genuinely do. You do care for not only just your football players but their staff as well. You care, we, you know, you know their backgrounds. And, I mean, although the media write a lot of stuff, some of it not true and some of it quite scathing but there's there's a lot of things that are untold that you don't go and put out there yeah and they're the things that you know we know
1: well hence this conversation today actually as well Yeah. yeah
0: but but the the thing about that i i totally respect the job that the media has to do and it goes with the territory at the broncos you can't complain that you're on the back page or the front page of the paper and There'd be a lot of footy clubs that would die for that sort of publicity. So sure. you, you just accept that, and I, you know, some it, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> from my point of view, if you start on it, if you start listening to the noise, then people can control you. Um, and yeah, if you if you're not, if you don't blink when when it comes, and sometimes it comes in large amounts, and um, it can be pretty personal as, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, pretty oh awesome. yeah. as well, yeah, 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 yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> I know it can be pretty personal, but it goes with the charity. Don't put your hand up for this job if, if, you, if you're not resilient enough to cop a bit of bad press from time to time, and um, I'm extremely fortunate, you know, I'm very well looked after, uh, I work for a great organisation, I've got great people around me, I, I do not focus on people that have an adverse view of me, I understand they're entitled to that view, um, but you know, I walk home every night, I'm happy with who I am. Uh, and who you've got? Yeah, and, and sticks sticks I've got. Through. Yeah, I was going to bring I'm, into, I'm Extremely lucky to have found. My, you, you think about that life's journey from Charleville to where I am now. Yeah, yeah. Know, yeah. How, how can you not be grateful? And so I don't. I don't blink at the bad press as another, much as others do.
1: Another speed bump in the road though I was going to talk about is your health.
0: Yep. Tell me about.
1: What what speed bump you had to hit there?
0: Yeah, well that that sort of you you go through your life, and I think you probably can gain that. I've always had a great sense of self-belief that I could, if I took a chance, I'd make the most of it and I'd turn it into something. So I guess the thing that probably f- Ans was always fearful about is that I didn't have any great fear for taking ca- a calculated risk. You know, I'm not, you know, betting my house on a horse race or anything like that, but I. I'm you sort of like am. Oh, I'm making yeah. I'm making bets on who I am and what I can do. I guess, but this came from left field. Um, at a time in my life that everything was um, going pretty well. It was in 2015, so everything was really going well at the club, on and off the field. Uh, and it was June 30, and um I had a mobile phone in my hand my right hand and I was on the phone to the NRL complaining about Thursday night footy okay and I started to get a bit agitated and I didn't realize at the time but I now know that this was the uh, it was the onset of the seizure and my hand started to shake like that you were uh, at home when this happened no I was in an office in inner city Brisbane I was on my own but my board were in the room next door but they couldn't they they could hear me i talking on the phone but they they couldn't see what was happening to me and so I was on my own, the door was open, my hands started shaking and I thought I was having a heart attack or a stroke because I'd never had a seizure and, and there'd be people out there maybe listening who have had a seizure and it's terribly frightening for the first time because that I thought it was lights out for me I thought this was it, I thought I was dying and I remember I had no control over what it, what was happening to me. The door was open beside me and I thought if I threw myself at the door someone might find me on the ground and give me cardiac massage or I'd be half a chance so I was still trying to fight but then once I realised I had no control I thought about Ange I thought about the girls and there was a bit of a sense of peace there like I, I honestly mean that right at that death you know I, I didn't die but right at the end of the seizure before I actually blacked out I actually felt at peace if that makes sense because I um, it, and it would have only been a number of seconds but I can recount that that moment in my life with great clarity because it uh, it just everything so vivid at that time so uh i later sort of came good people found me walking around the office uh the building i was in but i can't remember that i was looking straight through i was the brain was obviously recalibrating and then i I remember sitting beside my chairman at the time um and i said I, i was sweating it was in the middle of winter june 30 uh sweating profusely um and I said, I'm really unwell. I said, you're going to have to call an ambulance. And that's not something I would say lightly, that I'm really unwell and you've got to call an ambulance. And then I'd also realised I was wearing dark pants, thank God. So it was a positive, but I'd wet my pants, um, which happens when you have a seizure. So that was a, that was a positive, believe it or not. Yeah. That's And I guess that's how I focused on the journey. That was the first positive, but then... The ambulance i walked out i refused to get on the trolley to take me out so i made my chairman helped me walk out and i got into the ambulance they took me to saint andrews and i rang angela on the first th- oh so you my, rang her yeah mm-hmm. i rang Angel but i'm not i didn't know what had happened but the first thing i'm saying you th- you sit your dignity and you think i said angela i need to tra- change your clothes and this is three hours after i've left work and <laughs> she's saying what, what are you what have you been doing yeah and she she tends to well, she'll laugh when something bad happens initially. Like, we've had some funny it moments. So it's the like, way to deal with yeah, things sometimes, yeah. isn't it? So I said, I need to change the clothes. She said, what are you talking about? I said, please, I'm at St. Andrews. Just get a bag and bring the clothes up. So I didn't know what had happened to me. And I thought I might have overtrained. I trained hard every morning. And I thought, I've just overdone it, dehydrated or something like that. I, did, I didn't think for a moment that I was facing a brain cancer diagnosis. And that's exactly what happened. So they tested me up for heart attack and stroke. And all that came back good, and I was pretty – I thought, this is good. But the look in the doctor's eyes wasn't – I think they sure. knew, I think.
1: Yeah. They said something yeah. was yeah. – something greater
0: was yeah. – yeah. yeah. And Anne's probably could – she probably was more aware of that. I was – because I've got this belligerent optimism about everything in life, I was probably thinking I just, the, just the, the shadow was a scar from – because I'd had plenty of cuts on my head. and You had noxia. Yeah. yeah you know, know, had fractured had, skulls and things like We were saying to the doctor, like oh,
1: you know, yeah. he's – He's had a few knocks, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, but and um, uh, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't. So I was diagnosed with a malignant but inoperable brain uh, tumor, uh, brain cancer. Just I because of say. the position, yeah.
1: it's very deep down. Yeah, uh, how like you know the C word? How, how did yeah. you cope? Like you, you've dealt with a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, you've seen well the story you just mentioned about the tragedy yeah. in the country, but. Mm.
0: The other thing that policing teaches you, because you see life taken from people quickly, so it actually teaches you to make sure you live a full life while you're here, because you never, you know, everyone's planning on what's next and next holiday, and I've got to get a bigger house and all Especially that sort of today's stuff. Today's society. Yeah, yeah, instead of just living for the moment, you know. Of course, we've got to have plans, and Ange and I, you know, we've you've got bills to pay, and we we're, we're in life like everyone else, but. I think you spend your whole life planning what's next and all of a sudden you go to work one morning you're right you know that you finish the day in a hospital bed with a with a really pretty dire diagnosis at the time um how well the girls yeah well you probably oh the more. girl
2: well emily was in she was in cloncurry at this stage she was working up there
1: so you had to ring them all and say yeah she would finished that's no her mm.
2: she got a job up there in the my in glencore mining up there and um with her degree, Madeline was travelling overseas, which and she's an occupational therapist. So she she just sensed it. She had enough health background that I didn't even. I was still convinced. I oh, just had so many knocks in the head from footy. That's what that thing on his, you know, that little shadow will be. But she and my uh, Molly is was doing nursing, and they both had had conversations. They both being in that medical field, they
1: they sort of. So you got the right network to help you yeah. That yeah
2: and um annie was only in grade 11 okay. yeah. so only the two youngest ones were there they were like 16 and yeah. 18 and um they were really good i i still didn't know so i really i just came home and said oh you've just got to i'm going to the hospital you can come up here later tonight dad's not well
0: and um
2: yeah they sort of we just dealt with it
0: um yeah, and from my point of view, the, the, it's weird, but I was in control. I felt more sorry for Ange and the kids because it's in my head. I've got, you know, I could focus on all the negative. It was inoperable and it was malignant, but it, as it turned out, they took a sample. I had to have a biopsy, which is a pretty dangerous operation because of where it was just to get a sample. But when the sample came back, it was a slower or lower grade. It was malignant, but it wasn't aggressive. Um, so, so that was, that was the first positive. So I actually celebrated that night when I found out it was a uh, lower grade. So yes. I, I had, I had a few drinks and, and Pretty yeah, relief. and sang a bit of country yeah. music. And Ange was sort of saying, Lee I can't be- yeah, I can't believe he's, <laughs> <laughs> Ange was saying, I can't well, believe he's celebrating. And I was thinking, you just got to take your small wins now, you know? So uh, at least I was in control. I had a, back to you. Yeah, I had I had a great club around me. I had a great family. And I had my own sense of self-determination. I was healthy. You know, I was healthy be beyond the diagnosis. I was healthy. And I had a positive mindset, always have. So I thought, I've got a fair bit on my side. I had great doctors. And I threw myself into my treatment. Um, they said not to train. I trained every day. <laughs> they said, don't, don't go into work too much. I didn't go into work. At, you know, I probably missed a few days from work, but I did a lot of work at home. I wanted to keep active. Yeah. I did. I didn't so we just
2: bought keep- all the meetings, just came to our back deck. Yeah.
0: Really, okay. Yeah. It was good meeting with player managers on our back deck, and they saw me with no hair and that. I think yeah, they might have felt a bit sorry for me at the time. <laughs> we got a few We've good, got a tears bit of good negotiations. <laughs> yeah, and I was a bit angrier because I was on sort of radiation and chemotherapy and stuff like that. So, so cool. we just sort of yeah, I took time off work and yeah, the club were amazing um the whole club and club was f- excellent yeah they were fantastic. fantastic and um and you the, the the rich thing about not that you ever want a cancer diet, you get to meet some wonderful people who are in far worse positions than yourself mm. so you can get down and then you go and we made friends with a lot of people when i was getting my treatments and there's always someone doing it tougher. So yeah, right? yeah yeah and um you know, I remember Hodjo took me... Justin Hodges took me for my treatment one day radiation. There was a lady there from Rockhampton who, who was dying and uh, I remember how generous he was with his time but he knew... He just knew this lady. She was a massive Bronco supporter as were a lot of people and staff in there. Um, but, you know, the ability to sort of reach out to people who are far worse off than yourself during that time, I think was a, it, that sort of helped us as well. We sort of missed that time. And, yeah, it was, it was yeah.
2: quite... um. It was rewarding. Every day you'd go there, the same people were there. But, yeah, we loved going mm. and seeing all these people. I mean, mm. Paul didn't like his treatment, obviously, but it was really nice to go there and see these people. And, yeah, we just – we had people out for dinner that were going through treatment that we'd met there. Mm. And, you know, we're couple and that lovely old, older couple, um, Yeah, we'd spent time with them quite a few mornings and Paul was able to – you know, make sh- send them out of, they were su- super bronco supporters, so we sent her a Broncos pack and mm. um yeah, it was really good. And the girl at that's at the we were at the Genesis Cancer Centre and they were all beautiful. You, you know? always see
1: the pos well, it's so good that you you know, a message in this as well is to see the positive in such a you know, a sore situation. Yeah. I was
0: always doing that. Yeah, well we're all going the same place so some, <laughs> some of us get there some get there quicker than yeah. others. So um and at yeah. the end of
2: the day it doesn't matter how much you've got on... Yeah, you're not taking it with you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So you're recovering from that. You get a what? You get a after the treatment, you get something to say that oh, oh things are looking better now. Yeah, know?
0: definitely. No, no. I uh, enormously f- fortunate. So I went through, threw myself into my treatment. I was on radiation and chemotherapy concurrent, so both of those treatments together. And then I remained on chemotherapy for two years. Yeah. Um, post the initial diagnosis and the, the tumour had shrunk dramatically and it remains totally stable so now they just check for enhancement so they can't go back in and operate to test again because it's too much risk yes. but all they check for i get a scan every three months if there's no enhancement that's that's as good as diagnosis you can get and we've been getting that same feedback for about two and a half years now so i'm you know i'm enormously lucky and um yeah very fortunate that i've been able to navigate through that period in my life and i understand a lot of people don't and but we've been able to support like the mark hughes foundation who does a tremendous amount of work in this area and from the rugby league's been a great vehicle to promote that beanie for brain cancer round so yeah. it's a bit personal for me and i i also get the opportunity to give back a little bit to you know people who are who are s- sort of suffering so some people reach out to me and always make an effort to get back to them and um where I can lend a, lend a hand. I always say to people But their cancer journey, mine is uniquely your own. So a lot of people will have a different experience to what mine was, um, but you've got to sort of embrace it, make it your own and sort of, I guess, approach it as positively as you can. Yeah. Um, treatment, treatments are getting better all the time. So yeah. I'm really fortunate and grateful.
1: Yeah, Angela at the club. Oh yeah. <laughs> Angela at the club. Yeah. not necessarily anyone you wouldn't see Angela's name on the door anywhere or anything like that any no. potential job title or such yeah but it seems that she's very well entrenched in the club in in many ways
0: yeah I, th- I think they should take some money off me and give it to Ange because your, your your wife plays a massive role in she's played a massive role in my success so uh, you know we're a team we were speaking to our girls about that the other day because without you know, Ange's support. You know, I can't do what I'm doing. And, um, you know, she does... She probably takes it a bit, you know, a bit of that control thing. I'm in control of my working day and she'll hear a bit of noise or someone will come up to her at gym or something like that and say, you know, Paul, Paul must be doing it tough. And um, where I don't sort of blink too much, Ange takes a, you know, a bit of that on board. And there's there's pressures for, for Ange in that respect. But she's also you know much respected within the club she yeah. she's very generous with her time for people which is incredibly important um and we host a number of events and we've, we've got corporate functions as the like the one we met yet i, I was probably three parts the wind and ends would have been well behaved great stories yeah but like- yeah but um yeah she's really entrenched the players very much respect her um uh she she deeply cares obviously about her own family but also about all the staff and, and people that are at the club so she plays a real role and I'm very proud of the role she plays and it's similar to what we did in country footy clubs and yeah. the Broncos is just a, a far far bigger ver- version of that but you know members and supporters they, they w- we'd like to think we represent them you know? yeah we're, well you do we're a product of rugby league yeah yeah, yeah.
1: it's a mm. it's a credit to you both and Angela as well Nice saying that. You might be under pressure because <laughs> she sat right next to you, Ar- arms reach, as well. But you We're said d- it well. Yeah. What next? So you, you know, you, you've got um, your. My writing thinking that you're you you're at the Broncos now until well, there's an agreement in place until the end of the year. Yeah, that's right. December. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to ask because you've got. I've been told by various different sources uh, one of the reasons why the Bron- Broncos are. A, a marketing uh, success as well is because of your relationships, not just through the state, but you know, through the country, overseas in some instances as well. So you've brought a lot of commercial aspect to the club. You don't necessarily need to acknowledge that, but I think it's known that you you both have as well. So you've got fantastic networks in businesses. But where there's gonna be a point where life after football absolutely. finishes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. Have you have you thought towards more like there's a huge amount that you both could offer. Yeah, um, and you've already given a lot, but mm-hmm. I can imagine it can't stop there with with the people that you are.
0: Yeah, no, no. have you
1: spoken about this? Yeah, we dancing t- classes, <laughs> open a dance a dance no, theatre. Well, we
0: we sort of share that. Angie and I share the same passion for sort of giving back, and um, that will that will always be a feature in our life. But I, you know, I, I still need to keep my wife in new shoes from time to time and have a family holiday. So I, you know, I've got. I've still got a fair bit of career runway ahead of me um and the you know the thing in the role it's I'm enormously privileged but you 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 can never stay in a role beyond your use by date um you and still I, feel
1: you've got it yeah there. Yeah, yeah you've absolutely. got a lot to learn but yeah, you're still growing yeah
0: exactly there's so many opportunities sports changing so dramatically so it's, you know what happens one day is going to be different to the next and I'm a great sort of student of that and a believer in that that you know, we sport needs to adapt. You know, um, like all other industries, with the yeah. changing landscape of the world, technology. There's, you know, international presses come locally. You know, with
1: words well, quick. Yeah, oh, eco- yeah, yeah,
0: economic headwinds, and you yeah, I look at I look at all of that. But yeah, look, my my time at the Broncos will come to an end. There, there, there's no doubt about that. I, I I don't know when that will be. Um, my focus at the moment is obviously working. Really hard for the club, particularly we've got Anthony Seabold, a new club on, uh, new coach on board this year, and working really hard to support Anthony in in, in that transition and give him every chance to succeed. Yeah. Um, and that's really, you know, you start to take your focus off that and think about yourself. Um, you stop doing your job, and I won't do that. Um, but you know, when the when the quiet moment comes, you know, I'll put my head up and and, and I'll start to think, um, you know. It, is there more runway in the job at the Broncos for me, or is it is is my time? You know, is it right to to come to an end? And I I haven't made any decisions in relation to that, other than you know I'm firmly focused on what I'm doing. And and you might think, well, that's that's a sort of crazy scenario because you're far, fastly coming to the end of your contract. But again, a basic belief is just do well at what you're doing today, and tomorrow will take care of itself. And I've sort of lived by that, and it served me well. So i'm not going to change now
1: no oh, beautiful well guys thank you um, so much for sharing your, your stories and I, I can't wait to see what you know where the, the season goes but also your life further on and what you can offer other
0: people thanks very much for having us thanks, justin, justin. Yeah. Nice. thank you to our guest
1: paul and angela white a big thank you to 96.5 for the use of the studio and lauren Parr for her editing work in the background thank you for listening to behind sport.